0: GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we, as do it yourself dog handlers, can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogyourself.com and complete the contact form, and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. My guest this time is Holden Baker. Holden, how you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How about you? Living the dream as always. Can't complain. So nice. let's go. <laughs> let's go ahead and start off with the obvious. Tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dogs you run.
1: So um, I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I live in the
0: Twin Cities, um, and I have American Britneys, two of them. American Britneys. Why? Why the American Brittany? What was appealing to you about that breed?
1: You know, I did a lot of I did a lot of research actually. I mean, I spent like probably months looking into it. I knew I wanted to get a dog once I graduated college. And uh, um, I, my dad had kind of placed the seat in my head that you want to have um, smaller dogs for running through the cattails when you're chasing pheasants. And so I knew I wanted a pointing dog. And um, I, I just liked the way they look. And I thought it was cool to have like a, an American pointing dog too. You know what I mean? Right. So that's kind of what led me down that path. But
0: yeah, and dude, I, I love the small dog approach, especially in the pointing dog. I mean, I'm a sucker for big dogs, always have been, but since I got into this, man, the pocket rockets, the little small dogs, those are those are the ones that I really like. That they just cover ground, they're really fast and quick. And then to your point, in the cattails, they can kind of, I don't know, like a snake, just kind of work their ways through the uh, through all that hellhole that a cattail slough provides you in December, January, right? No, exactly. And I mean, I don't, I don't
1: want to go walk through those. So if my dog can kind of find the birds in there for me and I can walk to
0: them, that, that's more ideal, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what did you, uh, what do you primarily run? Is it, is it pheasants that you primarily chase or being in Minnesota or are you chasing the roughies and, and woodcock as well?
1: So I'm, I'm pretty new to hunting. Um, I started hunting for the first time probably four years ago. And so, um, I played, I played sports my whole life. I played football and basketball in high school, football in college. And so I was kind of looking for something to replace that. And my, my dad's an upland hunter and my whole family is in upland hunting. So I kind of got taken into that with my dad a couple of years ago and then haven't really looked back from there. But, um, could you remind me of the question again? I kind of forgot. What, <laughs> what do you chase?
0: What like, so your dad got oh, you yeah. into it. What are you chasing? Pheasant, ruffies? What so, What are y- y'all after?
1: So my family's originally from South Dakota, so lots of pheasants, right? And that's primarily what I'm chasing. But um I did get out for grouse a few times last year. I think I think six or seven days total. And then um I got to go chase quail in Kansas, which was really fun. Um and then I hunted waterfowl as well a few different times, which was great. But yeah, the the grouse are something I want to hit harder this next year for sure, because um me and my do- me and my older dog were a bit stupefied this year and didn't actually get to shoot one over him. So That was unfortunate. (laughs) Gotta gotta get him this year.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That tends to be the case, you know, when you when you only have such a limited time to chase them, especially early on, you know, whether that's you learning or the dog learning. So you have two dogs. Did you did you space them out over the past four years or did you go ahead and and take the plunge and get litter mates?
1: No, so I have I have my older dog Bo. He just turned two this June. Um and then I have a younger dog named Ben and he's he's only eight months old. We actually um ended up getting him kind of on a whim this year. I we I was looking to get a second dog um just because I hunted my older dog Bo, pretty hard this year. Um and I could tell that if we're out hunting for eight hours a day and we're going 20, 30 miles, um that's a bit much for a young dog to be doing all by himself. And I usually hunt by myself. So I figured let's add some more dog power right and get another dog in there. So yeah, we've got it we've got a puppy named Ben and he's he's a nice dog too, but yeah, that's kind of how we ended up with two of them. Didn't space them out at all. I know that's not what you're supposed
0: to do, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, two year separation isn't too bad. So, it, mm-hmm. you, you said that your dad is hunting, and you kind of linked up with him, and he got you involved. Did you did you not grow up upland hunting with him though? Well, so it's kind of strange. So my my family's actually my great
1: grandpa's originally from China, and he moved to the U.S. in the I think early 30s and um, ended up moving to South Dakota, into Aberdeen, and uh the first Chinese restaurant in South Dakota, right? And nice. so, that's, he, he had hunted pheasants in China, and um, thought it was really cool that they were all over South Dakota, and I'm sure all the townies in Aberdeen convinced him to go out with them, and he kind of got the, he kind of got the, the kick, and really wanted to go out and chase them, and so my grandma ended up hunting them as well, and all of his kids, and then my grandma met my grandpa, and he was a big outdoorsman, and he also liked to go hunt pheasants, and so, it's kind of just been something that my family's done for a while. Uh my dad took a break for probably the first 12 years of my life, uh just focusing on work and and kids and stuff. And uh when I turned 12, he got two German long-haired pointers. He did get littermates actually. <laughs> uh and uh they're they're great dogs. They're still alive now. Um super nice dogs and uh that's kind of how I got introduced to upland hunting and pointing dogs, but I wasn't super interested at the time, you know, I had, I had sports going on and video games and school. So, um, once I got a little bit older, uh, I convinced them to take me to go to a preserve with them. And that was where I got my first like true hunting exposure. So mm.
0: did you happen to learn any lessons, maybe regrets, or maybe it wasn't that big of a deal for them getting litter mates when it came time for you to decide whether getting a dog, where it was that? anything that you had learned from him, whether to do or not to do by watching him from afar?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, he, I'd say like, first and foremost, he's taught me like a lot of things dog related and training related and hunting related. And he's usually my first call whenever I have a question. Um, but there's definitely like some things I've been able to learn from him that he he's either told me or that I've seen that I personally didn't want to incorporate into how I train my dogs or, or work my dogs. And one of those things is, and this, he was really relaying this to me this year was um, hunt my dogs separate for most of this year, as much as possible. He trained both his dogs separately and he did a really good job with it. Actually, they are really nice dogs. And um, once he got to hunting season that first year, he did pretty good the first couple of hunts hunting them separate, but then he just got too tempted to run them together and ended up running them together basically most of their lives and so his female is she works really close like within 30 yards um which is not really necessarily what he wants She's still a really good dog and she finds lots of birds and she's honestly got a stronger nose than his his male is or does but uh no i i'd say that's one of the big lessons i've learned is just like he's really been hitting me hard with don't hunt them together like hunt them separate let them learn on their own when they're older, you can hunt them together, and you'll be you'll be happy that you did it that way. So
0: yeah, and that that's really interesting because I I, I get to talk to a lot of listeners, especially first time listeners, and, and this time of year everybody's chomping at the bit. We're just a couple months out; hunting season is going to be hitting, and so all those spring puppies and the first time owners, they're you know how do I hunt this dog? What do I do? And 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 you can hear advice whether you. Believe it to be true or not, that's that's not up for me to, to decide, but I always advise people the same thing. Like, don't, don't buy in too much into an older dog is going to teach a younger dog how to hunt. I think the younger dog uh, might pick up on certain things, like maybe on how to pace themselves or maybe range or maybe even quartering but I don't think they're going to learn how to actually hunt a bird because they're watching another dog do it. And that that's probably a multiplied when it's a litter mate, right? Like when both dogs have been brought up in the same household and in the same conditions and stuff like that, you're naturally going to have one kind of progress faster than the other, so to speak. And the opportunities aren't there. So that's, that's really interesting to hear that he's telling you from personal experience not to do that because you do hear that in the space to where just hunt a younger dog with an older dog. And I I, I don't necessarily believe in that. Uh, I think there can be some pros to it, but for the most part, I'm just, I'm going to stick on the safe side and say, hunt them solo, develop that independent hunter. And then later on, when they're ready, you can kind of pair them up with a brace mate.
1: Yeah. And I think like, it definitely depends on the dog, right? Like if you've got, I know I hunted my younger dog, Bo, or my older dog, Bo, with um my dad's older dogs a few times this year. And he's kind of one of those dogs where he's locked into the hunt. He's He doesn't really care about other dogs. I sometimes don't even think he cares about me, to be honest. But uh, he's, he's quite aloof. But uh, I knew that that wasn't going to be an issue, right? Like, I knew that he's going to go out and search independently of them and that that wasn't going to be a problem at all. But I think if you do have a dog that's maybe a little bit more interested in other dogs or kind of more um, sensitive towards what other dogs are doing around them. That might be more of an issue for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can, I can second that my short hair, Rachel, she doesn't care what other dogs on the ground she's going to go do her. And, uh, but my Munsty, she, she gets real caught up with what the other dogs are doing and she's real comfortable real quick to start hunting for that back rather than hunting for the bird. And, uh, but you you hunt her solo to to your point it's it sh- she'll actually start hunting a little bit better it's like she's she's not even concerned about another dog cuz they're not there right so Talk to me about, you know, you had had your dad to kind of point you in the right direction and stuff, but this is your first dog. You're a brand-new hunter on top of being a brand-new dog owner. So did you decide early on was the intention the entire time for you to train the dogs yourself, or did you screw around or consider with going to a pro trainer of sorts?
1: I I never once thought crossed my mind to not train them myself. That was kind of like the whole um, – attraction to it in the first place was like, I'm going to get my own dogs. I'm going to train them myself. I'm going to have this real strong bond with them. And that was kind of something that my dad, I think, had instilled with me too. He spent a lot of time training his dogs, um, testing them. I wasn't interested in it at the time. It's funny to poke them and hear the stories now and (laughs) get them to talk about it. But uh, no, it's definitely, that was definitely something that I was focused on doing myself. And not that I didn't want help from others or want others' perspectives and information, but
0: Definitely something that I wanted to do myself. Yeah. How did you go about starting to learn or get comfortable with the knowledge or, or coming up with a game plan or roadmap? You know, talk to me about your actual learning curve as you start off, because that's something I think everybody can relate to in this space is even the people that have been doing it for 40 or 50 years at some point or another they were a newbie. They, they were a beginner, you know, the technology and the resources that they had were a little different than ours, but what, what did you start doing? How did you go about kind of weeding through all the information?
1: So my dad, he, he, he tested his dogs in NABDA and how he primarily learned was um, through the Minnesota chapter in NABDA, just working with people there. And then also the, the old green book. Right. And he, he read lots of other ones, but he was like, why don't you get the green book? read it, read it through a couple of times. Um, i had already gotten my dog. So he was like, just, just read it quick. You can, you're going to read it a few times and you're going to go back and look anyway. So don't, don't worry about not remembering everything. But, uh, that was, that was kind of the first step. And then beyond that, um, lots of standing stone, watched lots of standing stone videos on YouTube. I mean, they're, they're a great resource for new people, especially. Um, and then beyond that, uh, books and podcasts, uh, podcast like yourself i know i listened a lot to um the sporting dog talk which was um, a minnesota guy he had labs but i mean he had a lot of really good guests on and he had a lot of really good information in those so i found that super beneficial and um from there it's just been more books um leaning on leaning on some of the old timers um in the minnesota chapter and um yeah that's, that's probably been, been like where I've gotten most of my
0: information. Nice. Well, the, mm-hmm. definitely you, you do have one of the better chapters for that within NAVDA. I mean, the Minnesota chapter up there, I've been up there, uh, as we were talking before we hopped on as I didn't even actually remember, but we had actually met at the handler's clinic last year up there. And, and you guys have a heck of a chapter y'all are, you know, obviously a large chapter, but with size and that many hands to help, you know, that that affords you, you guys a lot of opportunities in a lot of ways as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely a huge blessing to like live where I
1: live and to be able to be a part of that chapter. Right. I mean, there's great leadership and I feel like all the members are willing to help you out and take their time to explain things to you. And I mean, I might not necessarily want everybody's explanation, right. <laughs> or listen to everybody's explanation, but they'll definitely tell you it and they'll give you information and, Um, I, am still pretty new, but I've been trying to help out as much as possible. And yeah, it's definitely, it's a blessing to be able to live
0: in an area where I can have like that strong of a infrastructure to help me learn. For sure. So with, with you getting involved in the chapter, have you tested at all yet? Have you done an NA test or even utility test at this point? Yeah. So I, I ran my, I actually wasn't going to run my older dog um in any tests uh when i first
1: got him my only plan was to train him to be a hunting dog right um he he's from a he's from a breeder in, in iowa who just breeds hunting dogs um he, he he hadn't tested any of his dogs in a while and uh, that was kind of just my thought process is like i'm just gonna get a bird dog to go hunting um but as i started doing some training with him with him and when he went through his first hunting season he was only five five or six months old but he he showed a lot of potential. My dad was like, well, maybe, maybe you should try and test him. I think it'd be good for you to join NABD anyways for the training parts and you could, you could run him in a test if you want to. So I ended up running him in his NA, uh, last June when he was one. Um, and then I ran him in his utility prep test this year, um, also in June. And then, uh, the puppy's running his NA,
0: uh, next weekend. So okay. yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. So did you participate in Pete's old uh, UPT class 201 or what? what, I can't remember the name of it. It, it, I know that that that's been a valuable resource for kind of getting other people involved and comfortable with kind of taking that next little step within the testing line.
1: Yeah, no, Pete's a great resource. Um, He was super helpful to me and all the other guys in that class. Uh, He took us out, showed us what was what um kind of explained to us i'm not going to train your dog for you but i'm going to show you kind of how to train your dog and what these things look like and that was just super beneficial um he's just he's a really great resource i think for everybody in the chapter and um, I think that's kind of what makes it such a strong chapter. Is like I said before, like there seems to be really good leadership at the top.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We we always enjoy when Pete makes a makes a round and stops by on uh, GDIY for an appearance uh, here and there. But uh, so you know, we we obviously met at while we didn't remember it at first, we did meet at the uh, the uh, handlers clinic. Do you have any desire to potentially be a judge, or were you just there kind of? trying to learn more, kind of like me, just, you know, pick all the information off the bone that you can.
1: So, um, I actually, when I joined the chapter, I saw that they had a, a youth scholarship. And so, um, I'm, I'm pretty broke. I'm a young guy. I'm in school. <laughs> right. So, uh, I figured, well, let's, let's see if I can write an essay and get this, get this scholarship. And that would really help out with the testing fee and, um, the even the membership fee and everything. So, I ended up doing that. I, I got awarded the scholarship, which was, which was really nice. And uh, part of that was being able to attend one clinic for free. And so I, that was, that was the one clinic I attended. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. when I showed up there, like I didn't expect to be surrounded by a bunch of people who kind of knew exactly what they're talking about. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but uh, no, it was, it was great. Um, I don't really have any desire to be like an apprentice or anything right now. Um just trying to focus on training the dogs. Um, Maybe in the future, when I have more free time, I think it'd be something that'd be cool to do. But um, yeah, I, I'd say that clinic was extremely beneficial. I mean, uh, the Carters are super knowledgeable, and um, definitely learned a lot.
0: Yeah, definitely learned a lot. Yeah, but Blaine and Patty and all them, man, they're they're just wealth of knowledge. I love talking to them every chance I get as well. Uh, so as you as you're kind of going through all this, as you're figuring out the NA test, as you're kind of participating in Pete's. Pete's class and, and learning everything that you can from the handler's clinic. Talk to me about actually training the dog, you know, give, give me a couple of examples or learning curves that you've had already early on within these dogs that you've learned from, you know, that's something we can all relate to, to where we've made mistakes and had learning experiences. What's the first one that comes to mind for you as you kind of think back on it right now? I'd say like the biggest issue that I had starting out was just like setting
1: expectations on my dog and not really realizing that some of these expectations probably run fair. Um, especially as far as like learning commands or being able to do things. Um, particularly with like his recall, you know, I, I, he's a, he, he's got a lot, he's got burners, right? He, he's really fast. He's got jet fuel in him And uh, he, 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 he runs really fast. He runs far away. And he's a big ranging dog, to be honest, especially for a Brittany. Um, and I I worked on his recall with him a decent amount um, in the backyard and with a check cord. And I thought he had learned it right. But then I would go out and take him to the dog park or take him to a field to go run. And he wasn't really listening. And I'd, I'd get upset about it because I'm like, OK, why why aren't you listening? You're not, you're not responding to the command that you respond to in the backyard. And that, I think that was part of being new is I didn't understand that like they don't really generalize. Like he's like, oh, this is the command for the backyard, but out here, I mean, so I can give you the middle finger, right? So, <laughs> right. so um, that, was, that was certainly something that was a big um, hill for me to climb was figuring out, okay, I can't be setting expectations for a learning curve here. And I need to stay patient when I'm training him. Like, okay, so if he's going to take A few weeks to learn how to have a good recall then he's going to take a few weeks to have a good recall and i can't be getting upset with him if i use it at the dog park and he doesn't listen and it also turned into okay maybe i shouldn't be using it at the dog park if he's not trained on it right like if he's not ready to be using this command yet then i probably should be protecting my training and not helping him to learn bad habits of blowing me off and stuff. So that was definitely like the biggest first thing I learned. Yeah, Lots of other mistakes though. (laughs) I was about to say you're a
0: fast learner though, because you know, a lot of people, they don't learn that even through their first two or three dogs, myself included. I mean, it's like, that's always a reminder to where our expectations oftentimes hamper or smother the dogs in a lot of ways to where to just take a step back, you know, determine what's fair and consistent and all that stuff. You've heard me preach about it a million times on the podcast, I'm sure. Uh, so what about your plans this fall? As we talked about earlier, you know, hunting season is, is right right around the corner. I mean, it's coming in fast right now. So do you have any hopes or or trips planned uh, this season? You mentioned getting on r- roughies, but have you planned any big trip out west yet?
1: Well, I, I really wanted to, um, I'm, I'm in graduate school right now getting my master's. So it kind of makes it tough to take trips. We actually don't even get um, a fall break or anything for the, for the first semester. It's just class straight up for the whole semester. So, um, it's a lot of day trips, um, a lot of two hours, three hours South or two hours, three hours North of the cities, um, hunting all day and then driving home <laughs> late at night. Yeah, uh, I am planning on taking probably an, like a a little weekend, I'll probably bracket a couple of days, take off, work and school, and I'll go up with my buddies up north to hunt some rough grouse. But um, beyond that, I think I might try to sneak down to Kansas over winter break again, because I went down there this year to hunt bobs, and that was really fun. I mean, me and my dad didn't know what we were doing at all. Um, I got my fiancé to tag along, which was great. She took photos. Um, it was really fun. We did we did find some cubbies, uh, and the, the dog did well, but... I think it'd be fun to go back down now, knowing what we know and see if we can be a little bit more successful.
0: Yeah. And that's going to happen every year, man. You're going to just, just learn something that applies and helps you on the next trip or next year. And that's, that's really all we're after chasing, right? You know, that's, that's the important stuff. So circling back, you know, back to your to your learning curve and listening to podcasts, you said you've been listening to a podcast for a while. You have been a longtime supporter of this podcast, Patreon patron and all that fun stuff. Before I let you go, I have to ask the other question that I ask everybody. What's a topic or episode or guest that we've had on that really struck a chord with you or maybe helped you in some way kind of jump a hurdle or something like that? Does anything come to mind? I'd say the
1: force fetch series you did was really informative, um, and specifically the episode with Mark Whalen. I mean, it was it was definitely um, very informational, and, or yeah, definitely very informational. And I feel like it kind of changed my perspective on understanding how pressure works, um, especially with the e-collar. And it really I patterned my force fetch that I did with my older dog um, off of his. I actually went to his clinic this year just to make sure that I could take notes and truly understand like how he thinks about things. And it went, it went really well. I mean, I feel like my dog had a pretty good retrieve beforehand, but I feel like his retrieving abilities have definitely become more consistent. And I feel like, um, it's more fun for him now. I feel like we, we have kind of this interesting thing where like before he would, he would go retrieve, but he didn't really want to sometimes. And sometimes he was more interested in finding an expert. Right. (laughs) Right. But now it's, when he goes and picks up a duck or he goes and picks up a pheasant or he goes and picks something up, right? Like his tail's wagging. He's running back to me with his head held high. He's very excited. And so I think that that was really cool to see how that could, even though it's a tough process to go through afterwards, it seemed like it was beneficial for him overall. And I'd also say like um, that it also built a better bond between us, especially in terms of understanding one another, I'm currently working on setting him up right now. And I feel like the fact that we went through force fetch first has made it a lot easier for him to understand what I want him to do um, as far as getting him steady. And so that's, that's why I'd say I really like that episode. Yeah.
0: Well, you just hit on all the talking points that I usually give on my pitch for force fetch and why I'm such a huge (laughs) proponent for people getting comfortable and actually going through the process because I truly believe that if people actually want to do it, if they actually care to do it right, I think it, it it can be an intimidating process or venture like when you're first starting out just because you haven't done it, but you just hit on all the intangibles and the value of doing it, coming away with the bond, having a firm understanding of how to actually train your dog once you leave the table. I think it's it's definitely doable for the average person. You just have to go into it kind of humble enough to recognize you don't know what you don't know and and do your homework and do it the right way because I think it it is probably the more rewarding process for somebody, especially a first-time dog owner, when it's time to get that training done. I think that's one of the most valuable types of training they can do with their dogs.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And, I mean, I'd say that I feel like going through the process, I definitely made some mistakes, right? Like it didn't go perfect. There were days where I I did get upset with them or like days that I did think, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I need to take a step back. Um, But I think that's kind of the process of going through it the first time. And probably most times, I mean, we're not, we're not perfect and the dogs make mistakes. We make mistakes. And I think part of the process is kind of fighting through those mistakes and overcoming those hills and those challenges and that's what makes it so rewarding at the end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm kind of curious with a few follow-up questions as we start wrapping this up, just talking about the value of it and, and it being so rewarding for you. About how long did it take you for your first time going through the program?
1: So it's kind of um, it's kind of convoluted. I actually started Force Fetch um, when he was only, let's see, probably 11 months old. Um, I'd listened to that episode and I was like, I'm going to get started on horse rides, Dog's a year old, he's ready. Um, I went through the hold and carry process with him. And um, based on some advice I received from some of the old, old timers that I trained with for a puppy class, um, they kind of were like, well, maybe you should wait. He's pretty young. He's still pretty immature. Um, you can go, you can go to a clinic next year, or you can kind of lean on somebody and do it during the winter time. It's the perfect time to do it. Um, and I, I, kind of took that to heart and thought about it cause I had just finished the hold and carry process. I was ready to move on to ear pinch and I was like, I'm actually going to wait. So I decided to wait. Um, and that, that, that hold and carry was probably only about three, four weeks. But then when I started this year, I had to wait all until February because of that clinic. And I wanted to make sure I watched that clinic first before I actually went and started doing the process with them. So I think from when we started after the clinic to when I felt like he was fully um broke in terms of retrieving, probably two and a half, three months. Yeah. Um and that includes work on land, um, work at the baseball park in the short grass, um, drive into piles and stuff. But even then there were still some kinks we had to work out, right? Like I like you mentioned Pete's class earlier. Um, I met with Pete one day to for, for that class and we're doing drags. Um, and it's the first time I've ever asked my dog to do a drag. Right. And he goes up and he pees on the duck (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, Oh God. Okay. Well, that's kind of funny, but he'll do better on this next one. We run another drag. He pees on that one too. (laughs) And so here I am sitting there like, Oh, like what in the world? Like, and I I had proofed him on the table uh, with a dead duck. And so I think Um, he'd kind of become adverse to ducks through that, which was unfortunate because he really liked ducks before then.
0: Mm.
1: Um, but that was something we kind of had to work through. And, uh, Pete had met, met with me a couple of days later and we're, we're putting my dog on the tailgate and I've got a, I've got a live duck in front of him and I'm telling him to fetch it and he's turning away from it. Right. Like he's totally avoiding it. And it was really interesting because it's like, this dog is avoiding live game when I know this dog is obsessed with live game. So what? What? where did I miscommunicate with him? Like, how can I help him work through this? And so what I ended up figuring out is that it was really more him testing me. Yeah, he didn't like ducks anymore, but he knew he was supposed to pick it up. And so part of that was working through with the correct amount of pressure to help him understand it, and then lots of praise once he figured it out. So once he did pick up that duck, tons and tons of praise and making it fun for him. And that definitely fixed our issue. Um, he, he loves ducks again so yeah <laughs> it, it was it was definitely a little scary in the moment
0: though <laughs> well and and it's a common common uh situation honestly you know from a standpoint of how long it took you to two to three months i tell everybody especially your first time like you can kind of expect that and then you can also expect a hurdle such as this to where your first time through you might have something that you know there's such a booger in the dog's brain so to speak and and it's just we have to come through it it's a it's just a hurdle and and having the ability to read your dog and determine, okay, is this dog confused? Does it not know what it needs to do? And then determining, no, it it knows a hundred percent. So now it's like, it is no longer a request. It is a requirement. Right. And there's consequences to not doing it. And so kind of coming through that, it it, it doesn't, it doesn't take long to get them through it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think like just put, I put them back on the table, uh, had him pick up a couple of ducks on the table, which was no issue then. Um, then we moved to the yard, did that. And the whole time I'm just really whooping him up, hyping him up, making him feel like he's a superstar. <laughs> right. And uh I think I think Britney's are especially, you know, maybe a little, maybe a little emotional. And so I think that was that was a big benefit for him. But um, once we got out into the field again and he was handling live ducks and chasing ducks, I think that made a big difference and really brought home to him like, hey, this is fun like yeah you need to go and do this when i ask you to do this but in the end it's fun and you're going to get rewarded when you come back to me because i'm going to tell you you're a good boy and you're going to get to do it more yeah so i think it was just kind of explaining to him like this isn't really like a you get to decide situation but if you if you do decide correctly then you're going to get rewarded and it's going to be a lot more fun and easier
0: thousand percent Well, Holden, I enjoyed uh, getting to know a little bit more about your story and what brought you into this. You know, again, I appreciate you listening and your support uh, uh, over the time that you've been involved in the podcast and being a Patreon patron. But uh, it's always I always enjoy getting to hear the profile guys, you know, y'all stories, especially. Failures and successes, I mean, the force fetch journey that you just described, it, it, it mirrors a lot of mine uh, the first time through. And I think a lot of people listening to this would agree and people coming into it, you know, hopefully it, it provides them a little bit more comfort to know that it's it's not a foreign concept to be intimidated by it. But it is also doable and you, you're going to come come out on the other side uh, better for it o- overall. Yeah,
1: I, no, I, I appreciate you for asking me to do this with you, Nick. I, I wasn't intending to hop on a podcast with you or anything uh, <laughs> when I became a patron, but um, I appreciate your podcast. You know, it definitely informed me a lot and been very helpful for me and my training for my dogs. They thank you, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I enjoyed it, man. Everybody, thanks for uh, listening Hit and hitting download as always.